0: This is the intro. I- <laughs> Do you have something, have something <laughs> to say to you?
1: No, I don't have anything to say. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: hope the baby sounds kind record.
1: Of It'll kind of work, right? It will work. It's quite quiet online.
0: Yeah. Uh, hello. Hello, uh, hello everyone hello plants and pipettes
1: hello friends and enemies
0: <laughs> frenemies
1: no friends and enemies it's a quote yarn. it's like a classic film quote
0: uh i don't i don't know that film quote no,
1: it's, it's it's anybody phone in if you know <laughs> if you know the classic film quote uh it's something my sister and i really loved oh my my volumes just went up a lot yeah
0: there. i just uh, adjusted is it too loud now i think it's good it's always good to uh, adjust live on the recording mm. Um, but
1: did you just change how much sound we're getting recorded with?
0: I changed both. I, ch- I, I turned up your headphones and the microphone gain because there's not much gain on on your track. Um, yeah. I can hear
1: myself breathing now, and then I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I become conscious of the breathing, then I just try to stop breathing, and then I have to breathe a lot louder because I'm like. <laughs>
0: It looks it looks a lot better now here. Uh, okay, this is life adjusting <laughs> in <a> recording. <laughs> well the recording. Welcome to Plant Papas, the
1: the most of the professionalist of the recordings
0: there is <laughs> yes. out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. It's been a, it's been two weeks since we recorded the last time, but
1: I've been shopping for jobs. That's been one of the most stressful things in my life ever yeah. up until now.
0: I also yeah I. I'm I'm really glad for myself that I have, it's still some time for me until this becomes imminent. Like my job is ending at the the end of this month and then I'm on parental leave and then I don't have a contract for after that. So I will also like next year, I will be in your position and be like, what's happening? You got a year
1: of buffer and then you, it's yeah. Yeah, about a a year that that
0: I can take off now, which is really nice. I'm really looking forward to this. I have like now two weeks of work stuff to do that, yeah, that keeps me busy. And then there's just nothing apart from taking care of a baby, and that's it sounds really nice.
1: I also like the sound of like it's just two weeks of work stuff, and then like you have a break. like I feel like the the academic life sometimes you feel like there's no break. like it's like, oh, it's just one more month and then this, and then it's like another month, and I've got my progress and I've got this, and I've got like, yeah,, I need a holiday, yeah, it's holiday time, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the take home message.
0: Um, you know, get, but before maybe people who are listening are on holidays and listening to this because they can't get can't let go of plant biology. and for them, we have a terrible segue at the paper oh. It's the paper of the week. It
1: was definitely less sleepy than the one before.
0: Yeah, it's still kind of easygoing, but... Um,
1: I think it just needs to be like a little bit higher, like... You
0: overestimate what I can do with a ukulele in my voice. And, like,
1: play it louder? <laughs> okay, um, this week, it's my paper of the week. And as I said, it's been kind of a busy week. I've been doing lots of jobby stuff and preparation for stuff. So I did something that's a little bit outside of our normal molecular biology field. And went to the world of conservation biology instead so
0: the biology of jams and marmalades
1: oh my god ew. <laughs> uh.
0: i'm sorry guys at one point Egan will just break Mic drop. and this, micro- this if this i knew how to get over. this microphone
1: contraption off my head i would have dropped it by now and walked away but like your has got me locked into some sort of complicated headset thing here <laughs> I can't get free. <laughs> okay, so my paper is um something that came out in science, uh like at the start of this month. Um it's from the ETH in Zurich. Uh it's Jean-Francois Bastin. Baston, maybe? B A S T I N, Yorm? Bring uh, us Bastin. your French. Baston. And Thomas W. Crother. Crother. <laughs> I'm sorry guys, we don't know how to pronounce names. Crother. This doesn't sound as French, much less French sounding. No,
0: that sounds like that sounds like something that's hard to pronounce for a German crowder. <laughs> yeah. What you hear in the background, by the way, is a baby. There's a baby in the room. Um. So just yeah, deal with it.
1: I don't think they could hear it. Now they're just going to be like listening out for the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so it's from a group at the ETH in Zurich. And it's called the Global Tree Restoration Potential. And this one my friend actually brought to my attention. So thanks, Fabs. Um He was like, S- "We have to cover this one at some stage. It's very important. But it actually follows up on um, a couple of months ago now, we went to the Potsdam Day of Science um, in Potsdam in our beautiful city. And we talked to some people there and we asked them to ask us different questions and Like, by far, the most common question we got was, why are my plants dead? Which was (laughs) (laughs) less of our expertise, I would guess. Like, we just told them that they were overwatering them because, honestly, they're probably overwatering them. They
0: probably are.
1: Somebody asked us also why her her cucumbers were dead. And it's like, because you put them outside in winter.
0: was Yeah, yeah, they froze to death, I think, yeah. She was was surprised, like, there wasn't sub-zero temperatures, but very low temperatures. And the cucumbers didn't like it. Um, but yeah, this was the most the, the most common questions. But we still have an episode coming up. Like we didn't start preparing it yet. But we That's still what you going
1: to do on his baby
0: leave. <laughs> we still have it on our on our to do list um, to go with some of the questions that were not why are my plants dead and answer them here on the podcast. But anyway,
1: yeah. So one of the questions was like, how can we basically sink carbon? So what can we do to stop climate change from happening as rapidly as? It is? And most of them were kind of asking the question in a more general way like how can we stop this completely and the answer of planting trees is not really the best in that because like okay you plant the trees and they grow and they might grow for like 100 years or 500 years but at the end of the day unless that like carbon is getting locked down underground like fossil fuel style it's not actually locking it up permanently permanently once the tree decomposes it comes back into the the atmosphere but it is a very good short-term solution so um the photosynthesis by tree which locks up carbon dioxide is actually one of the most likely ways to limit the rise of carbon dioxide concentration in the kind of shorter to midterm um, and this is very important because it's got to the stage with our our global warming and we hope you all believe in that who's listening to us um <laughs> it's kind of dire now so we're at the stage where like we need to do these like kind of quick fix problems like these band-aid problems to just try and like slow stuff down a little bit so we can Kind of get behind the problem and, and conserve as much as we can before it all just like burns up yeah so um the intergovernmental panel of climate change the ipcc um said that if um one billion hectares of forest could be planted um this would help limit the global warming to 1.5 degrees celsius by 2050 across the globe so like you can really plant these trees they'll lock up carbon and that should stop the temperature from rising at how okay. rapidly it and is, is that, rising. Is that
0: from the paper, or is that independent of the paper? Disclaim. This,
1: this is independent, but it's mentioned in the introduction of the paper. Okay. So it's from this Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So, like a kind of big na- uh, international, yeah. like
0: yeah. And uh, did they base that on something, or is that something that then will be talked about in the paper? Uh, how feasible that is? It sounds quite. Um,
1: yeah. So they, the the IPCC, they based it on their calculations, but the feasibility of that question is then discussed in the paper. So okay. this is the paper is called the global tree Respira- restoration potential. So they're saying, what is our actual potential to restore by planting trees, which is kind of the overarching hypoth- uh, question. Um, so this group here yeah, then looked at, can we plant these basically one billion hectares of trees, um, and they did it by making a model to see how much of the Earth could have more trees added to it and kind of what the what the situation will end up being. And um, they did a whole lot of direct measurements um, about which trees are already there. They actually said they took 78,000 direct photo um, interpretation measurements, so like these kind of satellite photographs to look at what's currently on the Earth. Um, And then they looked at... um, These were taken all from protective areas. So it's ideally places where there's not so much human intervention um, because you want to see what the the potential is, not what the current situation Mm -hmm. is like with us living everywhere, right? So they laid out all these protective areas around the um, globe which have like less human interference, basically. And the idea is that you get like the spread from the entire world. So it's not just like one location, it's like representative somehow. And they did mention like... Even in these protective areas, it's not entirely free of humans. So, um, in some places, they probably have actually lower tree cover than you could possibly have because the people have like modified the land. And actually, in some cases, it can be higher because when humans come in, they alter the fire regime. So, Mm -hmm. you actually end up with like older growth because humans like clear away the bottom and they prevent the fires from coming and like ravaging every X years or something like this. Like, yeah. Um, So, then they also took all of these different, like, climate variables, but also topographic um, variables um, and all different factors of the environment that might be driving how many trees, how much, basically, cover you can have in any different yeah. area.
0: So so they looked at the different land types that you could plant on? So do I think, like, deserts and... Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm. But not really in such a broad term. Like, more, I think there was... Um, like 10 different layers of information that included like soil and climate. So like, I guess, humidity and temperature and and all different factors that could influence this, mm-hmm. this possibility to like the potential to put trees on the land. Um, And then they built their model. And I like the fact that the model uses a random forest machine learning approach, which, okay, random I found forest, that funny.
0: Random forest machine learning approach, R- RFML? No.
1: I just found it funny because it's forest and there were like, modeling trees and forest cover with a random no okay i don't
0: get it then i thought it's like it comes to like rf like rtfm or something Uh,
1: (laughs) no um it's not funny at all it's it's very sad that i am excited (laughs) by this um no it's just like random forest is just a, a a technique of like um Building lots of decision trees and doing them over and over again, and then kind of like now like, I get it's it. So the <laughs>
0: statistical method or the meddling method. method is called random forest, and okay. And I got
1: excited because okay, they use the random forest to make their that model, actually very funny which would get. then thank you. Please laugh loudly now. Well, that was too loud for those people listening. I think you might have to like edit that info. post. <laughs> okay, anyway. They got a model based on their random foresting. They got a forest model um, and they found that their model was very good. So I guess they wouldn't have published if the model wasn't quite good, but (laughs) they said um, they had like an R-squared value of 0.86, so the ability to like predict within this range. And then they also did this um, K-fold cross-validation, which is what you usually use with um, models. So the problem with models is that you use a lot of information that you have to build a model but then you see how good the model is by predicting but you're always like predicting on the same information you already have yeah so the k um the k fold cross validation is basically that you separate it into k like a certain amount of groups and then you take one of those groups out and you use the rest of them to like then predict what the the leftover group should be basically so you're kind of like mm-hmm. removing things and seeing how well the rest of them can predict those like yeah and you do this like in all different directions and this kind of um test like the rigor of the the um the model and it has less bias than like just using the model to predict yeah the rest of the model right like it's yeah. a bit more otherwise
0: you get these effects where the model is so specific to the training data set that it will always just be extremely good within the training data set and not really useful outside of the training data set or come to like weird conclusions and if the model is really complicated it's hard to spot these weird conclusions right and Mm. I know that it's from like from from machine learning and informatics that's a big problem where the training data sets if you if the just if it everything gets complicated enough it gets really hard to see like common mistakes in it because it just stays within its training data set
1: yeah and I think it's still not Perfect, because you're still like using the same kind of data, but I'm also not a modeler, so I think like. Yeah.
0: But they try to account for that. And
1: this is like I, I was having a quick look at it. and It seems like this is the accepted way to do it in a in a least biased way to then test your model. And this was then like seventy one percent of the variation um, in the tree cover that they saw across the whole world could be explained um, based on their model, just like including the climate and and the soils and all these kind of things. Um, And then they use this model to interpolate interpolate across all of the terrestrial ecosystems that we have. So originally the model is based just on these like protective areas, um, which are already like slightly forested. And now they're like saying, okay, look at everything. We look at like the center of Tokyo. We look at like the middle of the Australian desert. We look at everything and we see like, what should be able to grow there based on Mm -hmm. our model? Like, should there be trees and how much tree cover can we have? Um, and they said that they got it down to a resolution that was a half an arc minute, 30 arc seconds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a minute is, an arc minute is um, the the angular measurement equal to one sixtieth of one degree. So it's like this distance. Mm-hmm. So then like half an arc second, uh, half an arc minute is then obviously half of that. But a second of arc is about 100 feet. So... They That's have, a metric. Uh, 30 meters. 30 meters. So then they, then they have like three threes and nine. They have like 900 meter Squares. resolution ah, across yeah. Yeah. the entire globe, which is like on a global scale. This is like pretty small scale resolution, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I had to look up many of these words.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These I, I know arc minute and second and so on just from like I know about them, but I don't have a full understanding of that. I couldn't describe like the definition that you just gave. I wouldn't know that i just know it's just like a type like part of the the angle Um, yeah
1: okay so then they um they said so okay we've we've already trained our model and and built our model based on these protected areas does it accurately predict the presence of the forests that are currently there like all the other forests on the Mm -hmm. planet and yes in fact it did and this is they're using kind of a um a standard definition of forest which means that you have to have um at least half a hectare of land covered by at least 10% of trees which is quite like a low threshold for forest covers but based on that they found that there was 8.7 billion hectares of earth land that can support forests which is 3.2 billion hectares more than is currently supporting forests so like you've got this whole extra 3.2 billions where you could put forests okay of course there's a problem with that predict the problem
0: (laughs) one problem is like we can't grow our palm oil then I mean (laughs) It's the deforestation oh, areas. Then then there's problems that we use. Yeah, we use it for agriculture, some of the land. We, yeah, so the, we the, put the cities in some of the land or like at least housings. Like
1: Yeah. So the main problem is that of the 3.2 billion, 1.4 billion is already being used as croplands or some of it is also urban areas. But like 99% of the, the 1.4 billion has been used already as croplands. So you could grow forest there, but we're already growing rice there or whatever. Yeah. Um, so then they also looked they kind of removed this I said, okay, based on what's defined in the globe as cropland, what else is left? And then they still have like 1.7 billion to 1.8 billion of potential. Yeah. And yeah. some of that is also land, um, which is like previously degraded or has like sparse vegetation now or grasslands. So there's like potential that forests could grow there.
0: Yeah, how How do they... No, wh- so my question is there, some of the forests turned now into deserts right like mm-hmm. for example in Iceland they Iceland used to be covered in trees and then humans settled there I uh, started cutting down the trees for to for firewood and to construct stuff and now there's hardly any trees on Iceland like mm. there's this joke like how do you get up, out of an Icelandic stand forest up. <laughs> stand up stand yeah, up yeah because nothing is taller than a shrub there mm. but is this counted like areas like these are these counted as potential areas for forests because they are sort of they they desert it. They turn.
1: It does include degraded soil. So I mean, it's it's where their... I mean, it's where the model predicts based on the the land and climate factors there could be forests, and I I'm not sure how much of these like degradation measures they have included. So if you're measuring soil stuff, I'm not sure how much. And I'm like with Iceland, I'm not sure if it's actually human degradation or if it's just like human chopping down trees and now like keeping. I'm I'm not sure what the situation is. So I'm not.
0: I mean, right now what they're, tr- they're trying to reforest it like they're trying to regrow them but um because of the the climate there regrowth is really slow and there's lots of erosion and mm-hmm. especially without the trees erosion is stronger and so it's really hard to get something there. so they have some pioneer plants that they grow there like the i think these are these purple purplish flowers that they started growing as sort of pioneer like plants
1: heath, heath, heath? Right, maybe
0: heath? P- mm. P- possible i i don't know the name unfortunately um but you when you drive around there you see them quite often in large fields and they're mm. there to sort of support the soil and f- build up something that um that can support then other plants later on but because of the cold climate everything grows so extremely slow that mm. it's really hard to yeah to
1: they definitely like they acknowledge the slow growth as a something in In the discussion, I say, hey, like, this is a potential, but of course it will take a long time. Like, when we have this many trees, it could represent this many gigatons of carbon, but of course it could take this many years to get. This is kind of something they do discuss. But for the degradation, like, specifically for each environment, I'm not sure how many of those factors, like, I know Australian soil, a lot of it has like very high salinity, and I'm not sure where they're getting the different measurements from. Like, Mm. I didn't look into the supplementary data, to be honest. So I'm not (laughs) like, never read the subs, guys. (laughs) (laughs) anyway okay so their first definition of like this kind of forest versus non-forest was using this like categorical um like yes or no it's a forest description based on this like 0.5 hectares and 10 percent cover but they also wanted to use a more continuous scale because obviously if you have like 90% 90% canopy cover, you have more potential to store carbon than if you have 10% canopy cover. So there's like, there's different meanings, but also different forests across the world grow in different ways. So like, depending yeah. on what sort of trees you have or like what type of environment. So you have like a woodland or an open forest or like a dense forest. And this obviously, it's different from different environments, but it also has different implications for like how much carbon you're going to trap. Yeah. So they used um, kind of all levels possible going from zero to 100% of, of canopy cover. Or well, that's like the canopy projected onto the ground. So like if you have one stem taking up one meter, but then it has like a 100 meter radius canopy, that's taking up 100 meter radius, whatever yeah. the area of that is in the ground. Yeah. Um, and they basically use the same model as before, but just by this one, they got a slightly different number because you have now this continuous factor mm-hmm. involved. And here they said there's 4.4 billion hectares of um, canopy cover that can exist. Um, which is different from the current um, which is 2.8 billion and basically in the end once you get rid of again the cropland and the urban areas you get 0.9 billion hectares which are there and theoretically possible to be replanted on which is a good number.
0: And how are they distributed? Did they go into that?
1: Yeah so this is one of the things more than 50% of the tree respiration potential can be found in only six countries across the world. Mm -hmm. Do you want to guess which countries they are?
0: Uh, I would say one of them is maybe Brazil. Whoa! Well, yes, that's. I mean, it's already quite for, has quite a lot of Brazil.
1: Forest. Fifty million hectares possible in Brazil.
0: All right, next. Um, I know that, like.
1: You're just going for the big countries here, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, in China, Russia.
1: China, Russia. Russia's number one. One hundred fifty-one million. United States, a hundred million. Canada, seventy-eight million. So Australia, it's pretty, fifty-eight. It's the big countries. Like.
0: So it's just like a percentage of area of 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 the countries. Uh, Landmass that can be forested. So if the country is bigger, it ranks higher in the list.
1: This was just done by absolute numbers. But also, I mean, if you look at Europe, you could say like Europe as a whole. But of course, Europe as a whole is very densely occupied with like yeah. urban or cropland. So yeah. there's like the empty space issue. And obviously, like if you think of Australia and Canada and Russia, like yeah. big empty spaces, is kind of like, yeah. Yeah. But I think what was more interesting was that, that they looked into kind of um, how the distribution of countries versus how the different... Um, distribution of people actually wanting to help the world so they said that approximately only 10% of the countries that have committed um so the majority of the land is has got a very low representation of of people like committed like countries which actually committed to restoring the Mm -hmm. land whereas um in the the smaller proportion so less than 50% of of the the land that could be restored those countries which that land occupies are much more committed Mm -hmm. so like Maybe there's like European countries like Germany, like we're gonna plant five million trees but like
0: yeah it doesn't really matter here
1: for them it doesn't matter like who cares what Germany does because you don't have any land so I mean this just brings back the idea that when you come to conservation it's really like a worldwide issue and to make any one country responsible for it's just it's a ridiculous idea honestly because often the countries don't have the resources so there's often like very poor countries involved but also often like yeah the countries that do want to do stuff it's, it's like not relevant in there
0: yeah yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a, a bigger topic there, but I always, I'm always very conflicted about about this idea because I totally, I totally see the point at the same time like what I observe as well is that so often especially in Germany we tr- like to point our fingers towards the Chinese and say like ah it doesn't matter if we like use less fuels or uh, ch- do
1: you know Germany is like one of the top users of carbon dioxide I know ab- I
0: absolutely like, know. not it's even
1: like per capita like by absolute numbers you're still like number five in absolute, the world which is insane I'm like aware of
0: that but still people like the most common r- refute here is like yeah it doesn't matter like the Chinese are still burning coal and that's why it doesn't matter what we do yeah. which is absolute bullshit argument um i think
1: australia is also per capita australia is one of the worst as well so like yeah yeah high five we're like <laughs> freaking up the environment exactly Oh
0: god. <laughs> climate change thanks to us
1: <laughs> okay so back on the paper like um the another issue is kind of something you mentioned it's like you don't know where the land is um so it's like privately owned some of that land as well so this mm-hmm. is something which they cut they didn't look at um but they the, the kind of overall take home message was there's there's like an achievable ability to plant more trees and if you planted these trees on this like nearly 1 billion hectares you could soak up 205 gigatons of carbon um if they were restored to the existing forest status like mm-hmm.
0: yeah how much is two, point, two what 205 gigatons yes how much is that compared to like current emissions do you have any because I have no frame of reference then let me look up okay uh
1: Yeah, so while you're looking that up, um, the next thing they did is then look at like different um, models for how fast the the Earth is going to actually warm. So this is obviously a problem. So you can say like right now with the current environment, based on our model with all the current scenarios, you can grow trees here, here and here. But if the Earth warms up or if there's lots of big environmental changes, which we predict might happen, it's not going to really mean anything. Um, So they used uh, some Earth system models, which is just like these kind of climate change model. And they also use two different representative um, concentration pathway scenarios. Um, and these were came up with, um, I think in the early 2000s, and there's um, representative concentration pathway of 2.6. And that's like the lowest pathway. And that kind of assumes that our um, our greenhouse gas emissions will kind of peak between 2010 and 2020. And afterwards, there'll be a substantial decline. So we'll kind of like fix it. That's the two point six scenario.
0: Mm-hmm. We've
1: kind of already passed that. Like, yeah. it's not happening. So then there's also the four point five, which is saying that they'll peak in around 2080, and then we'll stop emitting so much. So then there'll be a decline after 2040. There's the six, which means we'll peak in 2080, um, and then in eight point five, we basically just like continue to use carbon. So there's these kind of um, looks at how the, yeah. the g- climate change will happen depending on our, you know, human use of carbon dioxide or like making greenhouse yeah, gases yeah. um so they use the 4.5 and the 8.5 which is basically um like the 4.5 is the middle one so we stopped using it in 2040 and the 8.5 is like we just don't stop um to see what would happen if this change if they can still reforest as much area yeah. because this stuff is happening quite quickly right like the, yeah. the time it takes for a tree to grow as a f- compared to how fast we make greenhouse gases not great <laughs> um, <laughs> And the problem they found is that actually if the if we keep on making greenhouse gases, the ability to plant trees will decrease.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: this is actually um, in contrast to some other model predictions because they're saying that under climate change, you'll actually expand um, the the warmer weather zones. So like at the moment, mostly you can't grow trees in the, the poles. And when the those poles get warmer, trees will be able to grow them, or at least, as you say, things yep. grow really c- cold in Iceland. In the future, not so much. That's not going to be a problem. <laughs> um, and so then these models say, hey, like, actually, we would be able to put more trees, and actually, there'd be like more primary productivity in more of the globe. But these people said, well, actually, the problem is that you will screw up tree growth in the tropical region. And right now, the tropical regions just have much more density of foliage so um a forest in tropical regions usually has like 90 to 100 percent canopy cover whereas even in these like warming of the polar regions you're going to get like increased boreal forests and like mountain forest regions but they're going to have like much lower coverage so if you add all of the kind of expanded areas like going up the mountain and going up north it's still less that you gain than what you would lose from suddenly the tropics becoming like all the trees just dying in the tropics because it's too hot
0: yeah plus the rise of forest fires that we see now like in especially like here locally in berlin brandenburg we had this year several major forest fires that were all record fire forest fires that were bigger than anything in the last i know it was 20 or 30 years or something like that um um, and we had several of them just this year we have like the massive fires in the us and so on so we will see more of that as well which also destroys lots and lots of forest land
1: and they also said things like so you can't pre- uh, predict how when the climate changes how much we'll have to change our land use so there might be more people we have to suddenly increase our grazing land suddenly we need to plant more crops here so this no longer becomes like available for foresting so they said like you can't really they, they of course can't calculate this with their model because you're all extrapolating everything but it's possible that it won't be able to take up as much carbon as yeah as it would like. But I mean, the, the take-home message for them is like, hey, right now, this is one of the best things we have because we don't have any long-term solutions. This will be like medium-term at least, but it will like slow things down. And the most important thing is to try to like break, yeah put a break on the the global increase. And they said like, look, this is showing that we have a potential. We just need to get off our butts and- yeah. And do it. And I'm paraphrasing them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder how Physically, that that is to be done because planting these trees again uses energy and right now all our trucks and tractors and large machinery runs on fossil fuels so would we just burn through a lot of fossil fuel trying to get the the tree saplings out in the areas where we can regrow trees?
1: I think that kind of consideration is like still probably like one-fifth of what Amazon and Google use a day just sending (laughs) you your power like I don't think I don't (laughs) think that's kind of something we should be factoring in at all I think it's like a very small short-term cost and i think like no it's not the right argument definitely like i mean it also takes a lot of energy to you know turn off the coal mines given that we already have coal mines everywhere but like that's not a good argument for keeping like just because we have the infrastructure to have coal mines doesn't mean we shouldn't switch to renewable like it's a bit of a false argument right
0: it's true it's true um don't be that person you're yeah i just I, I just think of like i saw many like people collecting collecting uh, venture capital for crazy technology solutions to for forestation um like having drones that uh fly out individual saplings uh to remote areas like drop them and then fly back and then repeat repeat Is that repeat what birds are for? yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry um no, we have the technology. We have to use it. Um, and that's why I'm always a little bit skeptical about like the ha- hardcore high-tech solutions. I just looked up a number now for the um, relation of the, the tons of carbon. Germany is currently emitting 8.9, so roughly 9 metric tons per capita per year of carbon. That is uh, with 80 million people here. That's 0. 0.7 gigatons, um, just Germany per year. And so this was 200 gigatons. So I didn't because I couldn't find like a other good, quick number. So I this found is just like, a, like
1: at the end of the paper they say there's a global anthropogenic carbon burden of about 300 gigatons, and I'm guessing that's annually. So I yeah. think that would make sense with your numbers as well. Yeah,
0: that, that that yeah. So makes it's
1: sense. like it takes something that's 300 and it it cuts 200, two thirds out. That's not that's not bad. Yeah,
0: I mean if we would have like a a combined solution, I mean that would totally help to mm. cut down. The, the the or like to trap some of the carbon and at the same time shut down coal mining um reduce the use of fossil energy to zero basically and start like being much more sustainable in so many areas
1: i mean i think this is like the point of this to me is like this is a kind of band-aid patch it is like yeah
0: it's treating a symptom instead of uh, yeah it's like of
1: course you have to stop doing the stupid things but at the same time i mean when i was in doing conservation biology so like 10 years ago they had this idea of, like, a a 50-year lag, right? So if you stop stuff, the the effects are still going to be there for 50 years. And I'm not sure how sound that is scientifically, but I think this is something where, like... Yeah, it's a rule of thumb, definitely. And as you said, obviously, if you plant trees, it is going to take some time for them to to grow up and even more time for them to get, like, full foresty. But yeah, it's something. And I totally agree with you. Like, I am this is this discussion we had this like wizard versus prof- profit this idea of like hey will technology save us or should we like are we just all doomed and we have to and I'm very much just like, like we just have to stop doing terrible things but yeah I think at the same time it's reached the point where even if we stop doing terrible things we also have to be trying to like
0: yeah we absolutely we need many different solutions used at the same time like in parallel and then we have to stop behavior that we or like first we have to stop behavior and then also apply these solutions yeah but
1: I, I mean this is the thing like we're not going to stop the behavior. That's just, that's clear. I mean, we have to, but at the same time, it's clear that we're not going to. So we should be like at least trying to minimize the damage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I know, I'm like, the climate crisis is one of these things where I'm more and more losing all optimism there. And I see these projects and I, I think it's really good that this research is done. I'm sometimes afraid that then by decision makers these these studies will be taken as excuses for not doing the thing that's important to do like stopping coal mining having a price on carbon it's some sort
1: of moral licensing almost like oh we're doing this one thing like
0: exactly we're doing already the reforestation we already planted 500,000 trees in germany so what more can we do we've done everything and no you didn't do everything there's so much more that you have to do
1: um on that kind of like link There was an article I saw, I think, via Nature Briefing emails, but it's on Mother Jones is the website. Um, And it's called It's the End of the World as They Know It, um, written by David um, Korn. And the tagline is the distinct burden of being a climate scientist. So it's basically this idea of like when you are a climate scientist, you're so aware of all the facts and all the facts are so horrible. And they kind of discuss how basically everybody just gets really really depressed um and different ways that different yeah, climate I scientists
0: totally understand that yeah
1: so one of the ladies i think the quote that i i liked a lot i don't have it here um she was talking about how people are like telling her off for always talking to the media and being too political and she's like hey like i have a tenure proser- uh, professorship i've like i've got to permanency now it's my time to make an impact and like this is like yeah. one of her ways that she can deal with the constant stress and anxiety of like having to see the world fall apart it's to at least try to be proactive in some way but there's there's kind of a um it's quite a long article there's a few different stories from different people um
0: yeah but we'll link it in the show notes
1: yeah so somebody says maybe i've become better at suppressing my feelings but my dominant strategy is to intellectualize it and say what a crazy species we are so just to try and like Look at it a bit from the. Yeah,
0: I, I can't really blame them. Like, you need whatever coping strategy strategy that keeps you away from drugs. Yeah, like go for it.
1: Yeah, so this um, the main person they're talking about. I think um, I think it's Kim Cobb, but I'm not super sure. Um, they're talking about how like they just went into these depressions and kind of couldn't connect and like. Uh, um, for for her, I think it was her. Um, the the catalyst was basically Trump getting elected and then this was kind of this idea of like not only am I fighting an uphill battle but now it's it's got a hundred times like what am I even doing in this um, yeah. I think it's worth a read um,
0: yeah we'll link it um, yeah and on, on this like while we're on the topic of the climate crisis there's two things that pop to my mind that I want to say like the first one is that the The Guardian recently changed the language that they talk talk about this. Um, So instead of saying global warming, they say global heating, and instead of climate change, they say climate crisis. Okay. um, To make it sound more urgent. Yeah, to make it sound more urgent because the other terms are sort of euphemistic nowadays, Mm. and often used by people like fighting the climate crisis or like fighting the concept of the climate crisis, and not not non-believers. They use that to make it sound less urgent and less less dangerous, and. yeah, so that's just one thing. And I, I wish that more media would follow this example, um, also especially in Germany, but also across the world. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is a, 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 re- a study that came out. Unfortunately, I forget, forgot now the name, but the gist of the study was that they did some surveys of people who... Um, uh, who are already actively trying to change their behavior um, to to fight the climate crisis and people who don't change their behavior and they ask them about uh, how much they support certain policies like uh, tax on carbon emissions and in the study they could found that people who do individual small scale actions they are much more likely to be opposed to large scale policy changes e. and because it's moral licensing again right yeah. they, they say like look I'm not using plastic for my veggies so I don't have Therefore. to pay a, ca- a tax on carbon like so let me drive my suv and um this is something that bugs me now more and more when i see people talking about the climate crisis and they come down to like all of the individual actions that we shouldn't fly that we shouldn't drive our cars and so on and while it's factually it's not wrong to like emphasize the idea that everybody has to be uh, uh, conscious about what they do the impact that they have it's still sort of it has been shown now that overall in general this deteriorates the support for large scale policies so i would wish that people would stop like w- working towards the individual action and instead would always say uh, f- um, pr- pressure your uh, representatives to uh, uh, enact large scale policies instead of saying like look take the bike to work like you can take the bike to work after you put pressure on your representatives and uh,
1: let's say the inconvenience of doing the small scale stuff should act as a reminder that we need the large sales stuff as opposed to like yeah in its place it should be like oh like Absolutely. this plastic i forgot okay i have to like bring my canvas bags and then like and that reminds me i should also stop like coca-cola or whoever's
0: the the like, stop I voting should... for conservative parties around the world Okay, <laughs> no seriously they're the ones who constantly oppose climate change policies
1: and on another really bad note um i can't find the link now i was just having a look um there was recently a climate change a uh, anti climate change study a couple of days ago that got uploaded to archive so this is um, basically an online depository where people can put their their information before it's been published so you can upload your your new findings before they go through the peer review process and thus show the world and you can kind of stake your claim on your science and it also helps science move more quickly so we have bioarchive for biology but archive is kind of the original one And I think a couple of days ago, one came up that was saying that of the um, temperature increases we've seen in the last 100 years, actually barely any of it is linked to humans and it's all from cloud cover and stuff like this. And the, the point is that this article, it's not clear where they think they got their data from. It's very badly done. Um, apparently they reference like six papers and four of the papers they reference are their own work and two of those four are not even published but as a reminder anyway stuff on archive has not gone through the peer review um, process but despite this fact a lot of the um the anti-climate change sympathizers um fox news is one that comes to mind they took up this story and they've put this forward as being a new argument which is against like human-derived climate change. So um, go and have a look online. I will put again the, the link in the show notes because I can't find it right now. But just as a reminder, this is not being peer reviewed. Other scientists have not seen this and said, hey, this actually makes sense. It's not clear where the data came from or what. I mean, there's no indication that it's it's true. And if I put up something on archive saying that goats created the universe, it doesn't mean it's true either. Just
0: yeah it just means you know how to use an upload
1: and just because five or six newspapers then quote this study again does not verify it in reality and the sad fact is that when this ultimately doesn't get published or gets has to get retracted or there's going to be some comments like i don't know what the process is to upload stuff on archive i'm not sure who looks at at first but when that process does go through it won't get as much yeah um
0: I mean that's coverage. That's, that's,
1: that's always a situation, but just
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Be rational, and if you see something on on Fox News, maybe just like turn the TV off or throw the TV through the window or <laughs> yeah. like re- question your life choices. Why am I watching Fox? Leave what? What has brought my life to this stage where I think it's acceptable to take information yeah. from these people?
0: Yeah, and, and
1: I don't know what the German equivalent is in Australia. <laughs> pretty much anything on mainstream TV, like just turn the TV off
0: and <laughs> leave it there. Like just
1: that. leave it off. Like
0: yeah. Yeah. Netflix
1: is not too expensive these days. It's got to be better <laughs> than like whatever they're playing on Australian TV right now.
0: <laughs> Although judging from the way they pre- represented like the flat earth d- uh, documentation oh and God. so on, Netflix has a very poor quality control. So,
1: Okay. <laughs> not Netflix. Also, we don't want to d- plug Netflix. Li- just just
0: listen to our podcast. You know everything oh about God. the world you need to know. <laughs> We're just no, talking crap as well. No, okay,
1: let's go on to the, fa- the favorite plant.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: we got a little bit let's, side Let's faster. leave
0: this distra- the, uh, depressing area. Uh, let me just click the right button
1: my favorite plant
0: is it what bo- okay
1: <laughs> your cat is at the window and i just went to let ah, it in yeah
0: yeah he does that sometimes
1: lucky 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 <laughs> okay i'm here for the cats
0: um so yeah, my favorite plant is this plant. <laughs> I'm showing taking a picture. Um, uh. <laughs> it's a picture from a book. Uh, we we'll talk about the book in a minute, but first about, first of all about the plant. Do you want to describe the plant or should I say what comes to mind when I see this? Uh,
1: to me, it's um, this little shop of horrors, I think. Um, yeah, it, that's a good one. Yeah, I think it, it looks like kind of a semi thing with a disgusting like three-parted mouth, which has opened up and it's like... Red gums and it looks quite terrifying.
0: Yeah, to me, it's uh, it reminds me of these uh, uh, sandworms in Dune. Oh yeah, yeah. These like massive worms that live underground and they come up and they have like these sort of like also like three pieced mouth that opens and they swallow things. But um, like
1: more red and bloody inside somehow. Yeah, I
0: think in the in the movie they were bluish or I don't know what color they I'm were. I'm looking
1: up little shop of horrors. It doesn't look right for that either. It's more disgusting than that. Let's just imagine.
0: Yeah. So this one is a Hidnora, Hidnora africana is um, the species name. And this is a parasitic plant that most of the time lives underground off the uh, roots of other green plants. So this guy itself, it doesn't have um, any chloroplasts, it doesn't do photosynthesis, so it's a uh, full uh, parasite. Mm -hmm. And much like the sandworms, it lives underground and then just emerges from the ground when it's flowering time. And then it opens up this like weird mouth looking thing with like almost teeth like little hairs around it. Um, and it apparently it smells terrible. It smells- um, Rotting uh, flesh. Yeah, it smells like feces and rotting flesh to attract <laughs> uh, their pollinators, which are dung beetles. And um, yeah, it lives in a, in a, sem- a semi deserts of Southern Africa. And it's a pretty weird looking plant which brings me to how I found this Um, it's from a book called Weird Plants from Chris Thorogood um, who's also very active on Twitter so we should uh, um, shout him out we shout him out and we'll put a link to his Twitter also in the show notes and it's a really cool little book about weird plants essentially and so it's it's um, separated into different um, chapters that's uh, about this one is from a chapter of uh, vampires because these are plants that are parasites that suck the energy Mm -hmm. from other plants and then there's um, killers that are like um, carnivorous plants there's uh, survivors that that deal with extreme uh, conditions and so on and so on and it has lots of really nice pictures in there Um, I thought these were all photographs um, but these are um, I think acrylic paintings done by the author um and he's a botanist at the botanical gardens of Kew in London so yeah his twitter on his twitter and also in his book he talks about a lot about like weird plants and so i just found this one um it's also on the cover so it was really easy to find and uh yeah i quite like this
1: it looks quite cool i'm always quite fascinated by the parasitic plants like just this laziness of oh yeah i'm just yeah. i'm going to give up on all the cool things i can do i'm not going to photosynthesize anymore i'm just going to
0: And sometimes I wondered how, like, how much of a plant they then really are. But, I mean, they they still belong into the taxonomy of plants. But, yeah, they don't do photosynthesis. I mean, this guy lives underground. I would almost, like, if I would just hear the description, I would rather think of a fungus than of a plant. Mm. But apparently this is is a plant. Um, And... I mean, in, in in this little text that I write here, that says that its evolutionary origins were unclear, but now that we know, that's a distant relative of the Dutchman's pipes, which is also featured in this books and in this book, uh, which is a different, uh, I think, a carnivorous kind of um, uh, plant as well. Yeah, that looks like this, which you can't see now. It's I feel like you like to choose like the
1: very visual ones for the podcast. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, look them up. Uh, maybe yeah I, I can I read a little bit through the book I don't know uh, how much I can give a good recommendation for this yet but I quite liked it I, uh, we put a link down there uh, in, the, in the show notes as well to, to the book yeah cool and with that we move this is where the fun begins 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 after such a non-depressing episode like today, <laughs> what fun stuff did you bring today, Eugen?
1: I think you've got to go first. I don't have anything super fun, to be honest. <laughs> I like—I used up my my fun stuff on like the depressing talk about how climate change scientists are depressed, which is very sad.
0: Um, I start with something that I actually like. I also have some like less happy things. So I think we'll just do a little gloom, a bit of gloomy thing today, and then next episode will be much more fun than this one. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, the the one thing that I, I watched this week is um, a video by Kurzgesagt, um, a channel on YouTube that has a German name because it originated in Germany, but they also do lots of English videos now. It's called Kurzgesagt in a nutshell, and they do amazing, like, animated little stories about si- about science and uh, answering questions.
1: So, Kurzgesagt is basically saying in a nutshell in German.
0: So. Yep. And they answered the question, is uh, organic food actually better? And they looked at many different aspects of whether or not it, uh, it is better. Mm-hmm. And just to spoil the video for you, <laughs> the conclusion is, um, in terms of like pesticides, it's not really better because even on conventional food, the, the guidelines, at least in Europe, are so tough that the residual pesticides are always just like a a percentage of the allowed limits. Mm -hmm. So they usually stay way below these limits. So in terms of pesticides, they're not uh, much healthier. there is co- very conflicting evidence over other, like, nutrients if they are actually better in terms of, like, uh, antioxidants or other things that are in the, in the fruit and vegetables. Um, the main difference is the impact on ecosystems in uh, organic farming, which is less because they spray less, although they still do spray. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the, thi- or the stuff that they spray is just as toxic as the stuff that is sprayed in conventional farming because... They mentioned also in the video the toxicity of a compound doesn't matter from where, it, where it's from. It matters like it's depending on the compound itself. And in organic farming, the only rule is it has to be like a natural compound. Mm-hmm. It can still be a super toxic natural compound, um, but it can be used then um, after regulation in organic farming. So organic farming is uh, a little bit better on the ecosystem, but it overall uses more land to get the same yield. So you sort of have to like the conventional farming um, is a little bit h- harsher on the ecosystems, but more efficient land use. While organic farming is a little bit nicer to the ecosystem. And but now uses we know that land. if we
1: like, we use less land, we can pr- plant more forests, and therefore yeah. like save those 2.05 gigatons <laughs> <of>
0: carbon. <laughs> and uh, um, so the video concludes with the idea that um, we need to. Like use the best of both worlds. Like we we don't have we we shouldn't look at um, this like polar uh, system where we say like either it's fully conventional, lots of spraying, and or it's fully organic, and so we use a lot of land but we don't spray anything there is probably a good middle ground there that's Mm -hmm. like nice on the ecosystems um, as much as we can be as a species covering most of the planet. And that has also high yield on on the land. Um, So this video is very well done. Uh, We put a link for, for that as well in the show notes. Coolies. Do we have another thing before I continue to my... I feel like... Angry fun fact is what I call it.
1: Oh no you do the angry one
0: my angry one is that i looking i was looking up this week for an article that i wanted to publish uh, on the blog and i found a very cool paper um, about venus fly traps mm-hmm. but it's behind a paywall and i said okay there are ways around it like i still have an institute login so i can get there but then the first reference uh, in there that they where they based most of the background knowledge on was from a book that you can only buy that there were the even with an institute license you can't read the resources in the book and much of the introduction was based on the facts in that book and then also all of the other sources they cited were close access where i was at a point where the paper itself was quite interesting but i couldn't research any of the claims mm. that they made based on their own sources and then i was just like saying ah screw that i'm not talking about their story so, so i don't
1: know if you guys know this but um when we talk on the podcast, we usually do stuff like which is often behind paywalls. We, we do tend to do like the big stories and unfortunately, a lot of them are in the big yeah. You know It's really you, hard to avoid that. Yeah, but when we write stuff on the blog, we try to make most of it open access or at least something where like the authors have uploaded a copy online. So I think we'd say like more than ninety percent of our blog posts are based on on open stuff. And sometimes it's very, very frustrating where you like you read something which is amazing and you're like, I want to communicate this science. Like, yes. It's cool science. The world must know. I mean, with our like fifty people who read of it 10 of them are my mother and Joram's mother. <laughs> yes, our ha- hello mum. Hi Mom. She joined
0: a, the podcast listeners a while ago after I told her I about think this. my dad
1: got Instagram just so he could follow us on Instagram. <laughs> hello parents,
0: great that you're listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it is very frustrating to have the paywall. And the good news is, as we discussed a few weeks ago, this is changing and there's going to be new um, ways of doing yeah. science. Um, and we've kind of had this discussion. I mean, the the, the main argument is at the moment, often the taxpayer pays three times so they pay for the research then they pay via the institute to get the paper accepted or to get it published in the the journal and then to actually read it they have to pay again to get it read so this is a, a system that's not ideal right now and i think we are seeing changes we're seeing really big changes in germany but also in the u.s and Things are getting better. Yes, it gets better, better, Still, better. I wrote
0: in all caps in my notes: publish your work, open access with open access references, or we won't tell your story. And oh,
1: what a big threat this is! Like.
0: <laughs> but with we, I mean, like science communicators in general, like maybe we don't have the audience yet, but in general, it's just it's such a problem. If you want to tell, like, you want to convince people how amazing research is, and then if they want to look up research, they see like buy this paper for forty dollars mm. to get access, and it's just.
1: I just realized that I'm not sure if my my own journal is open access. I didn't make that choice. <laughs> <laughs> my boss made that
0: choice. But in please theory, don't shout at me if it's not, guys. Yeah, but in theory, from from our institution or from your institution, it should there's a policy that it's uh, everything should be published open access, and there's extra money for that, which makes me often even angrier because the the the, the story that we had on. Um, this, the, I think last episode or the episode before we talked about all these new varieties of weed also from a German research institution that has possibilities to publish it open access but they also chose not to do that sort of despite the the institutional um, proposition of doing o- so open access. So I mean
1: there's some problems now so as I said we're in this transition phase right now and the there's now some funding agencies or even institutes who are saying you must publish what you're doing open access they're saying this is a rule But right now there's three different things. So there's either journals which are completely open, which is not very many of them at all. There are journals which you have to pay for a subscription to get anything. Um, And some of them have different rules where like they open it up after six months. I think that's what PNAS does. Um, And some of them just stay closed. Um, And the third one is that you can pay extra money to get your article opened um, either immediately if it's a time lock thing or like generally. Um, One of the problems with the new funding thing where they say you must not publish in this paper unless it's open, is that those ones where you can pay to get it open, you can't publish in that either. So unfortunately, the way the system is set up now, many of the, the higher ranking journals are either locked or you can pay to have them open access. And some of the funding agencies are now saying you just can't publish in that. Yeah, um, already in that journal, which just is then a big problem for the careers. It's a of the problem for the career of the researchers. It's a very big problem if you're in a small field where there's only like three or four like good journals, um, and the the kind of very nasty side of this is now there's many open access journals which are popping up but a lot of them are predatory so basically they're not properly peer-reviewed you basically just pay the money and you get in there and then it's open um and this is not how good science should be done either so this is i think as i said things are changing right now so we're in this kind of weird awkward state but i think things are getting are getting better and there will just be more more open and i think again i think it's pnas because i think i was looking into this a while back but they already do have some systems where um, it's free if you're in a developing country. So like it's closed access. If you're in Europe, then your institute should pay for it. But if you're in like a developing country, yeah, you get it. And this is again, I mean, it's the same issue that came up with my paper about the trees. Like these are also global problems. So, I mean, if my institute has to pay a lot of money to get into a good journal it just means that the rich institutes get richer because they can pu they can afford to publish the the fancy stuff and then they can afford to get more grants and so on so i mean again it's a global cu- um problem where the ideal scenario is that no institute has cost worries when it comes to actual publication yeah yeah i think it will change in the future honestly
0: yeah I'm also like there's This changes as you said um, I'm just always still I'm still angry whenever I encounter this in my work
1: I just found out that mine is open access so everybody go and read Al Marriott et al um, <laughs> check that out give it five stars you be now like, super
0: smug like
1: Vimo it or whatever the hell <laughs> like <when laughs> no Vimo me what's a Vimo I've seen Vimo I don't know. It's I think it's how you give somebody US, money
0: right it's like a like a cashless money thing
1: yeah so I think I think it's money transfer
0: yeah it's i like think PayPal, i know but person to person
1: i'm it? embarrassed because i i think i know it because my my google has now decided that as a 30 year old woman i am probably going to get married soon i'm not <laughs> <laughs> um but it keeps on like giving me so i think i read an article about like using vmo to like register for your wedding gift and whether or not it was tacky to get people to just like <sighs> Vimeo, you, your. <laughs> Somebody like this is not a burrito. This is like a loving connection between two people. Like,
0: <laughs> click on this link. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have think, something fun.
1: I think we should end now. I think we've like
0: then, talked uh, for too long. Huh? then then let's end on a cat fact. Oh wait
1: wait, I have a quick thing. I think we should add um a new corner called like Yoram's Get Off My Lawn corner where you just like do a small rant about the thing that's like annoying you
0: about science. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very happy to do that. Um, And I will see to make a jingle for that as well. Um, So this week-
1: Hey, you could get off my lawn. (laughs) I don't know what accent that is. like my ice block accent.
0: Yeah, uh, but I have that audio now, so I can totally use that. so the cat pack that I brought here to end this show on is um, I just went to Google Scholar and I, I, I Google Scholored, uh cat and plants and one of the first thing that come up from this year is a patent apl- uh, uh, oh, application no. and uh, there's a recent patent on solving cat litter aversion syndrome which is cats that shit outside the box sure <laughs> and their solution that they patented apparently is um, that a mixture of alfalfa meal and cranberry fibers with an acidic pH creates an irresistible attractant for cats to the toilets so you mix that in with a cat litter and then the cats what? smell that and they're like I want to poo in that and then why they, and then they go in there and then, yeah then they use the, the, the cat bo- litter box um, when you just use alfalfa meal and cranberry fibers unfortunately I can't tell you to to do that and try that because that would violate this patent so don't
1: do you think the cats just hate it like my cat used to always like if she hated something she would like throw her kitty litter or she would like like basically do the equivalent of shitting on it she would try and like shovel her own poo onto the food if it was like just like so maybe they hate the smell of geraniums, was it, so much? That uh, al-
0: alfalfa and cranberry.
1: They hate cr- cranberry so much that they just want to, like, yeah. put the stronger smelling thing they can on top of it. <laughs> Possibly,
0: so. I don't know what it is, but it has, like, detailed explanations of, of like, mixtures and things that they use in this patent application. Um, I'm always, like... I always find it weird when patent applications pop up in Google Scholar but apparently it has some use to some people but to me it's always the one thing I don't want to see like, I want to see research articles and uh, and reviews and I don't care about patents yeah. about things but in this case that's the cat fact for today um, and with that we end yeah so follow us on all of the social media
1: I think we're a bit like mumbly today but uh,
0: <laughs> no, we, we, we okay
1: could. we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Plants and Pipettes
0: on Twitter, we're at PlantsPipettes. Read our stuff on the blog at PlantsPipettes.com.
1: Yes, we also have a blog.
0: <laughs> leave, uh, leave us a review on iTunes.
1: And please interact with us on all the platforms as much as you can, even if you just, like, comment plant on something. I mean, it really <laughs> helps with the algorithms.
0: Uh, <laughs> this is like me when I see a cat in a picture of somebody I cat? know. <laughs> I'm just writing uh, as a comment, just like, cat. Katze,
1: katze. Yeah,
0: um, but
1: it really does help us in the end I mean anybody who likes something it keeps it in the somebody else's feed just for a second longer and it gives us a chance to yeah. get our stuff out there
0: our opening and closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross and that's it, see you, see you next nice. week
1: bye